Good morning, everybody. Uh, my name's Scott. I'm one of the elders here at LifeSpring. Um, a few days ago, I was at work and I texted my daughter if she could make me a Samson slide. Would that be hard? Oh, wait, there's more. <laughs> so I texted her, can you make me a Samson slide? Would that be hard? Oh, no, I know, I'm getting there. I'm telling the story. <laughs> she texted me back a laughing emoji and said, you need to reread your text. And I, I'm like, okay, I know I'm not tech savvy and things like that. So I went back and I reread my text. And what I had actually sent her, can you make Samson slide? Would that be hard? So my family being the forgiving people that they are, now every time I say the word Samson, they have this little dance move that they do. <laughs> So this is your public service announcement to reread your texts before you send them. Uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer um, before we get into a scripture. Father God, we thank you for, for being sovereign. We thank you for the mercy that you shower on us. We thank you for the salvation that you give us uh, through your son Jesus Christ and, uh, and his resurrection. Lord, we just pray that um, as we dive into your scripture today that you would just bring it alive to us, that you would meet each one of us uh, where we're at. Uh, and speak to us, Lord, that these words uh, be solely from you uh, and not from me. We pray these things in your name. Amen. <clears throat> so as Cabot mentioned earlier on, Hebrews 11 is a really neat book. It's kind of an outline of these Old Testament characters. They exhibit great faithfulness in various states of their brokenness or weakness or whatever other circumstance they find themselves in. And they're doing this in a calling from God to actually fulfill God's promises. Uh, a few weeks ago when I was up here, I chose um, to speak on, on Gideon. And I did that. That was kind of a, a nostalgic thing for me. That was my first time preaching, and that was the first time I had ever talked, uh, uh, or taught Gideon, uh, was, at, was at youth group. So I'm like, all right. Cabot came to me, and he said, um, would you mind preaching again today? And I said, fine. You know what? I'm going to go back to that, that thing in, in Hebrews and, and pick another character. So I go back and I reread that and the, the fantastic things that are pointed out there, the, the faithfulness that people acted in, and some of the stories, you know, you really do want to just dive into the Bible and find where these stories are at. So I saw Samson. <laughs> and I'm like, cool, Samson. I haven't, I haven't heard about Samson since I was in uh, Samson. <laughs> um, that you had. It was a different picture. Prime, that kind of a thing. The story of Samson's kind of like that too. Depending on the angle that you hold it at, there's a different story there. There's lots of layers to Samson. So it was very challenging for me to actually pull out um, what was uh, trying to be conveyed in this story. The story of Samson is in Judges. It starts in chapter 13. It's four chapters. We are going through all four chapters today, but we're going to do kind of the Reader's Digest flyover version of it. Um, and we're going to see um, what we can uh, learn, what God's trying to speak to us through this. So if you want to turn to your Bibles and, and, uh, to Judges, chapter 13. Verse 1, Again the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, so the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines for 40 years. I'm already going to stop right there. At this point, I have a puppy at home that can be left alone longer than the nation of Israel. It seems to be that... <laughs> that they, as soon as God is out of their sight, out of their eyes, they, they just can't help themselves but to just kind of fall back into evil. And so for 40 years, they were under the rule of the Philistines. 
So the angel of the Lord comes to this woman in Israel and says, hey, I know you're barren and I know you're childless, but I'm going to grant you a son. You're going to conceive, and his name's going to be Samson, and he is going to begin, or in the NIV text it says, he's going to take the lead in freeing Israel from the Philistines. And from the womb, he is to be a Nazarite. A couple of things there to contrast. Samson's name, or I'm sorry, Samson's mom is not given a name. She is nameless, she can't have children, and she has no children. In that culture, she was, for all practical purposes, broken. She was inconsequential. She was unassuming, and she's not given a name. Samson, on the other hand, is given a name, and he's given purpose right from the womb. He's going to come, and he's going to have great physical strength, weak moral character, but great physical strength. And he is basically going to um, do everything wrong. That was one of the challenges of Samson, is I was trying to figure out, why is this guy in the hall of faith? And that was, I mean, it was just really kind of hard to pull out. So you see here that God is going to use the unassuming or the broken. He's going to use the weak and the sinners to achieve his divine purpose. Samson was going to be a Nazarite, though. What does that mean? In number six, it details the conditions of being a Nazarite. Now, typically speaking, and Samson's a little bit unique in this situation, but typically speaking, a Nazarite could be a man or a woman, and they take a voluntary vow to consecrate themselves to God, to dedicate their lives to God, to kind of set themselves apart to God. And typically it's for a, uh, an actual, uh, there, there's a start and an end date to it. So it could be for 10 years, it could be for one year, uh, it's unspecified. The traits of a Nazarite, though, as you set yourself apart for God, in Judges here it mentions that no razor is to touch Samson's hair, so that's, the, that's one, is that you have this physical outward appearance of this vow that you've got between God. I need some water. <laughs> I think I have one right there, Meg. <laughs> Sorry. That people can see. The second one is you can't no wine, no of, of anything. So, so nothing from the vine, off of the menu also. And the last thing is that you are not allowed to be around unclean animals. And Numbers specifies unclean animals as basically dead animals. That includes people. Um, corpses, that kind of a thing. These things are, this is important as we get into this, the, 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 the study of Samson here. If you were to ever break one of these commandments of being a Nazarite, there is a ritual you have to go through as far as uh, offering a sacrifice uh, to God and shaving your head and then you have to start over. So if you're at year nine and a half of your 10-year voluntary vow to God and you mess up, you shave your head and you start over again at year one. So this potentially can take you 19 and a half years to complete this vow. Very difficult thing to do. But Samson was set aside from the womb for God. Israel had been under the rule of the Philistines for 40 years and they weren't really moving. So God is actually coming to them first. He's moving first in their lives. It's important to remember, if we, if we go back to the, the, the story of Gideon, Israel cried out after just seven years. They're like, we can't handle this anymore, God. We need a Savior. Here, they never ask for help. God actually comes to them first. He's like, hey, I made a promise to Abraham, and I need you guys to start moving on this and acting in faithfulness. So the story of Samson actually is the story of the Israelites kind of 
in cameo type of thing. So God moved first. In the Bible, there was only one other person that was dedicated a Nazarite from birth, and that was John the Baptist. And his, his um, proclamation to John the Baptist's mom was uh, infinitely more positive than the one here for Samson. But it was only him. There was one other person that was set aside from the womb with God's purpose. And we'd be remiss to not mention that Christ was set aside for us. Matthew uh, 121, the Lord is speaking to Joseph at this point, and he says, he will set us free from our sins. Samson just has to begin the process of freeing him from the Philistines. Christ is coming to set us free from our sins. Through Christ's life and death, he paid the price, not only for our sins, um, but he defeated them. He actually moved past that and then defeated death. Our pathway, as in Christ's life, our death provides, as Christ's life and death provides our pathway to God's promise of salvation. In Christ, we are set apart and made unique for his purposes. We can fast forward, you can skip ahead to chapter 14. See, we're already done with one chapter. Three more to go. Samson is uh, older here. He's starting to have the desire to go look for a bride at this point. So chapter 14, verse 1, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. When he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah. Now get her for me. <laughs> what did you say to me? His father and mother replied, Isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all of our people? Must you go to the uncertain God outside of their... They're following God's commandments. The version says she is right in my eyes. So it's important to keep, keep track of that word eyes as we go through this story. It's mentioned at the beginning where the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Now Samson is saying she is right in my eyes. The, the idea of the eyes that carries throughout the entire uh, uh, scripture through the entire Bible, either literally or figuratively. Jesus says that, you know, the eyes are a lamp to our heart as far as where we actually are placing our treasure. So the, 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 the significance of eyes in this story is important. In chapter 4, his parents, however, did not know that this was from the Lord, who was seeking an occasion to continue to confront the Philistines. Is Lord, it is the God, God's intention to actually get Samson into the Philistine neighborhood. If he's going to actually start interacting with them, he can't be separated from them. You get this idea again of Israel's complacency, of they're just kind of like, you know, you stay over there and we'll stay here. You're occupying our land, but really you're not bothering us, we're not bothering you, so no harm, no foul. Samson's kind of going countercultural here. Usually it's mom and dad that handle the, uh, the idea of picking out a bride, um, and then as we read here in chapter 5, Samson goes down to talk to her. So it was, again, it was mom and dad's purpose culturally to pick out the bride and then go talk with the uh, mother and father of that bride and, and set up this arrangement and everything. But Samson, he doesn't care. He sees what he wants and he's going to go get it. And he's going he's to just say whatever to the law of the land and go about his business. This is where things start to take kind of a downward spiral for Samson very quickly. Samson's Walking along, he's heading to Timnah. He's actually passing a vineyard, which is interesting. Not as interesting as the lion that jumps out at him. And he is 
overcome. It says uh, in chapter 6, or sorry, verse 6, uh, chapter 14, the Spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him, and he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. And he leaves the lion there. Sometime later, Samson's walking by the same path. He's going back again to go visit this, um, uh, this woman that he uh, has found interest in. And he comes across the, the lion, the carcass of the lion. And I don't know how long it takes for a, a beehive to form in something, but there was a beehive in the lion. And Samson reaches down and takes honey from this hive. Now, what did Samson just do? He's by a dead animal. He just touched a dead animal. Not only did he touch it, he ate from it. So he just broke his vow as a Nazarite. He goes and he finds his parents, and he doesn't tell his parents anything, which again is kind of a lie of omission at that point. And not only does he not tell his parents, he gives them some of the honey too. Now, his parents weren't necessarily Nazarites, but the Israelites at the time already had some uh, pretty... Um, I would say, I wouldn't like I say superstitions, but they had some pretty staunch beliefs on what uncleanliness was. So this, even not as a Nazarite, this would have bothered them had they have known. Verse 10, now his father went down to see the woman. Now his father went down to see the woman, and there Samson held a feast, as was customary for young men. So we're fast forwarding here, and Samson's on his wedding day, or wedding week, it was a seven-day celebration typically um, where they would you know, just celebrate and party for seven days. And this is on the Philistine side of things. So it was very possible that Samson was in contact with Galatian, has no friends, 30 Philistine to be his wedding. And he's going to tell them a riddle, him a little bit here. And he tells them to eat out of the strong something sweet. Now he's talking about that lion. But if you were to actually pull apart that riddle, this is actually the story of Samson's life which is really fascinating, which I can't go into right now because of time, but uh, if you look into that, that's a really fascinating uh, how that turns into his life. And what's at stake here? There's 30 men, and then there's Samson. Samson tells them a riddle, and Samson says, if I can stump you, if I can keep you stumped by the end of the celebration, all 30 of you have to buy me a new set of clothes. So Samson gets 30 sets of clothes, which is a weird thing to ask for. But if they guess it, then Samson has to buy each one of them 30 clothes. So Samson has some serious financial uh, loss potentially here. Well, on the, the fourth day, they go to Samson's wife, his bride-to-be, and they say, hey, you need to go find out the answer to this riddle because it is bothering us to no end. And if you don't, we're going to burn your house down with you and your dad in it. I mean, that just went from zero to 60, like now. I mean, you leave yourself nowhere else to go from there. And Samson's wife, she's like, okay, well, I don't want to die. I'm going to go, and I'm going to nag Samson relentlessly. So she does that. Verse 16, then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me, you don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. And Samson's like, I haven't even told my parents the answer to this one yet. I'm not going to tell you, but he finally caves in. The next day, the 30 men answer Samson's riddle, and Samson's reply is kind of harsh. If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would, have, you would not have solved my riddle. He's accusing them of being un, unfair and kind of indirectly kind of calling his wife some names here. 
Samson goes off the rail at this point. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him powerfully. He went about 23 miles away to another Philistine stronghold. He had to get far enough away from this wedding party so that what he was about to do wouldn't be realized that he had just lost a bet to 30 men because he goes to this Philistine stronghold and kills 30 innocent men, steals their clothes, walks back to the wedding party and fulfills his end of the bargain. And then it says, burning with anger, he returned to his father's home. After all of that, after walking 23 miles, fighting and killing 30 men, walking 23 miles back, he was still burning with anger. Samson's got rage issues. He's an, he talks like he's an entitled jerk to his parents. He's lying. He's willing to throw away a, a vow between him and God for his own physical desires. And now he's got rage issues. Later on, Samson goes to uh, visit his bride-to-be. In Scripture, it calls it his wife. Uh, I don't believe they ever got married because it says that her father, thinking that Samson was no longer interested in the wife, gave her to the best man, one of the 30 men that Samson just had this issue with. And then he offered his daughter instead. <clears throat> Samson said to them, I'm on chapter 15, verse, to get even with the... They justify what he wants to go to the story and catches 300 foxes. In my life, I have seen three foxes. <laughs> three. And I have never caught one with my bare hands. How strange is it that Samson can go out and catch 300 of them, tie their tails together, light it on fire, and send them out into the fields of the Philistines and burn down their harvest that was or their fields that was ripe for harvest. So he just burns down all of their, their stuff. You can compare that with the story of Gideon where it was the oppressors that were tearing up all of the, the Israelites' fields and stuff. Well, now you got Samson who's an Israelite and he's tearing up the oppressors' fields. In verse 6, when the Philistines asked who did this, they were told Samson, the Timnites' son-in-law, because his wife was given to his companion. So... So the Philistines went and burned down the house of his bride-to-be and her dad. She ended up suffering the same fate that she was trying to avoid when she gave up this riddle, which is what caused this whole mess. Samson goes on. So we're starting to just kind of build the character of Samson here. And he's, just, he's off the reservation at this point. Since you have acted like this, I swear that I won't stop until I get my revenge on you. And he attacked them viciously, slaughtered many of them, and he went down and stayed in a cave in the rock of Edom. So Samson kills them and he runs away, probably again feeling a little bit of like, oh, this is, this, that probably was not the wisest thing for me to do. And he goes and he hides in a cave. The Philistines assemble an army and they march to Judah. Now remember I'm saying, how I'm saying that the Israelites and the Philistines at this point, are, it's not perfect, it's not ideal, but it's not like the Philistines are, are being overly harsh with them. So they march to Judah. The tribe of Judah, the men of Judah, see them coming, and they walk out, and they're like, what have we done that you are attacking us? And they're like, no, we're here for Samson. So the Israelites offer to go get Samson out of this cave and deliver him to the Philistines. Now we can stop there for a second. The Israelites marched out with an army similar in size to the one that the Philistines had brought, and they had Samson. 
They could have easily ended the entire story right there and defeated that army. But as we learn, again, in the story of Gideon, as Gideon's uh, assembling his army and God continually whittles down the army till he's left with just 300 men, and what's his, his purpose behind that? With an army of this size, the glory of the battle would not, would not go to me. It wouldn't go to God. God wants everybody to understand that it is him working in this. So if they would have done that, Samson could have very likely been made uh, an idol himself or raised up instead of uh, the power of God working in this. Verse 12, they, say, they said to him, we've come to tie you up and hand you over to the Philistines. Samson says, swear to me that you won't kill me yourself. And they're like, fine. So they tie him up. Tie him up with ropes and they bring him out to the Philistines. And again, the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon him. The ropes on his arms became like charred flax. He picked up a fresh donkey bone, a jaw bone, and killed a thousand. Broke his vow again. In this passage, acknowledge because he was very thirsty, this is a verse 18, because he was very thirsty, he cried out to the Lord, you have given your servant this great victory. Must I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? Then God opened up a spring and Samson was able to regain his strength. It seems like T Samson's tone in this is very similar to the tone that he was using when he talks to his father. Samson has needs, and he just wants it. It's almost like he's acknowledging God just so he can get something out of the deal. It's like that person that asks you how you're doing so they can basically get you to talk, and they just want to talk about themselves. It's kind of like that. Samson is out of control at this point. He's repaying evil with evil, and he's doing it easily. He's sinning, and he's breaking his vow for his own physical needs. Perhaps the story of Samson is such a popular story in the Bible because that's very relatable to us, right? We're broken. We're unassuming. We're weak, and we're sinners. But being set apart with Christ does not create perfection. Being set apart with Christ does not create perfection. My relationship with Christ is not a proclamation of my perfection. My relationship with Christ is a proclamation of his perfection. See, the problem isn't only that Samson is sinning. The problem is the presence of Samson's sin and the absence of his repentance for it. I have a lot of people that don't come to church because they feel like church is full of hypocrites. And that's possible. I'm sure that there are people in churches across the world that wear the outward, you know, the, the visible um, markings of a Christian, you know, the hair of Samson, so to speak. But their hearts and their actions do not match up. Who they are on Sunday mornings is not who they are on Friday nights or on Wednesday afternoons at the office or alone in their room at any given time. It just doesn't match up. But I think... When people say that the church is full of hypocrites, what they're actually saying is that the church is full of sinners, and they are 100% right. We are the unassuming, the weak, the broken, and the sinners. We are dead to our sins, 
And that is why through the life and death and resurrection of Christ, the gospel is alive and working in our hearts. Every day, we have to go back to the gospel, back to the throne of Christ and being like, Lord, I have messed up. I need you. I have nothing to bring. I am weak and broken. I am unassuming. But in that, as we go to that throne, he gives us that forgiveness, that relentless grace that he just chases after us so he can shower that mercy on us. The gospel is alive and working. People can see our sin. Do they see the repentance? Do they see us bring it to God? Do they see us turning away? Do they see that struggle? Do they know where it's coming from? There's a commentary in my Bible here, and I won't tell you the, the scripture that it came from just yet. I will later. But I love how this is, this is worded. It's very concise. Christian conduct should never be oral to disrepute. However, part, despite us, uh, chapter 16 verse 1 one day Samson went to Gaza where he saw a prostitute and he went in there to spend the night with her people in Gaza were told Samson is here so they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him so Samson travels to Gaza the fact that he's with a prostitute is not necessarily as it would seem he's potentially there kind of incognito very similar to the way that the spies stayed with Rahab. Um, but he's in this town. Samson is physically doing what God is requiring Israel to do. He is going into the land that he has promised to Israel. And he's occupying it. Well, they're, again, they're obsessed with Samson. He is a national threat at this point. The men hate him and the ladies love him. And they want to know what makes this guy tick, so they lie and wait for him. Samson sneaks out. And this part's cool. He rips the gates off of their city, the city of Gaza. These are not small gates. These are not like fence gates. These are gates. Not only does he take the gates, he takes the pillars, he takes the big iron bar locks it down, that locks it down, and he carries it all the way to a hill. I think it said it was like 40 miles. He carries this thing to a hill and leaves it on a mount that overlooks Hebron. And in doing that, I think this is cool, um, uh, Pastor Cabot actually opened my eyes to this. He fulfills a promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 22. Your offspring will possess the gates of his enemies. So God's faithfulness is all throughout the story of God fulfilling his end of the deal and being faithful to his people. So verse 4, this is the story usually that we hear in Sunday school. We meet Delilah. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him, so that we may tie him up and subdue him. And then we'll give you 1,100 silver pieces. When I read that, after hearing the story and studying this for so long, that was kind of convicting. The Philistines are obsessed with trying to figure out what makes Samson tick. The scripture doesn't say anything about how Samson looks. It doesn't say anything about his financial well-off. It doesn't say anything about that. But they are obsessed where he gets this great power from. Do we live our lives and show the Holy Spirit working in our life where people are obsessed to know where it comes from? Are people willing to pay for it? I would probably say, I know personally, probably not always. And that's pretty convicting. Do people see the power of Christ and the Holy Spirit indwelling in us in our thoughts and our actions and how we treat others? 
So Delilah goes to Samson, and she asks him in a very um, covert type of way. She doesn't want Samson to know what's going on. She doesn't want him to know what she's up to and what the Philistines are up to. So she, she rephrases the question so that Samson doesn't quite understand. She goes to Samson, tell me the secret of your great strength and how you can be tied up and subdued. I mean, she just lays it out there, and Samson's like, okay. So Samson's going to mess with her for a little bit. Samson looks at her, and he's like, ropes. Ropes are the secret to my weakness. Obviously, no only a thousand people when it's out that the Philistine there. So she tries it again. Different kind of You tie me up with this kind of rope, and I will become as weak as any other man. So she tries it, same outcome. Delilah's getting angry at this point. Third time, Samson says, all right, you got to tie my hair up in a loom, kind of make a blanket out of my hair. So she takes his seven braids that have never been cut. I don't know the condition of what they were in, um, and weaves them into a loom. Delilah at no point thought that um, if somebody met him in the battlefield, how likely is it somebody's going to have a loom to do this to him with? It probably took a while, and it's not like it's going to just be instantaneous. And again, same outcome. Samson breaks free of this loom. Delilah's mad at this point. How can you say that I love you? Verse, uh, my eyes are going. Verse 13. Right? 15, sorry. How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. Does this sound familiar in Samson's life? <clears throat> so he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. He said, because I am a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb, if my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. <clears throat> Remember, the strength is not coming from Samson's hair. Samson's hair is a symbol of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, of his set-apartness for God, his dedication to God. It is just a symbol. So when Samson's sleeping, somebody comes in and they, they cut Samson's hair off. She called, Samson, the Philistines are upon us. And this part here is actually sad. He awoke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Number one, he didn't think cutting his hair would actually do anything. He thought when he woke up that he still had this amazing strength, which means he didn't know where this amazing strength was coming from. He was insensitive to God working in his life. He had been blinded by all of his physical wants and desires and the weakness that he had around the ladies and completely blinded to his purpose. The sad part, though, is not just that the Holy Spirit left Samson. It's that the Holy Spirit left Samson and he didn't know it. He had, lost his, he had lost sight. He had lost his purpose. Well, the Philistines help him with that, and they take out his eyes. They take out his eyes, and they shackle him to a, a millstone, and they humiliate him. His hair is shaved. He has walked away from everything that he was set apart to God for. He, his Nazarite vow was just been trashed at this point. And he is alone in this room, just working. 
There's a song that we sing here. We sang it just last week. My wife warned me not to do this. (laughs) But I have to. In my blindness, you are my vision. In my bondage, you are my freedom. And in my weakness, you are my power. See, I did it. That's what it doesn't mention him doing. He is shackled. Wait a minute. We just indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Except Samson's a Nazarite. What does a Nazarite have to do when they mess up with their vow? They gotta start over. He's a Nazarite for life. So this is this is gonna just keep going on and on and on, which could lead to some of Samson's insensitivity to this. But his hair's starting to grow back. You mess up, you offer a sacrifice to God, you shave your hair, and you start over. You sin, you ask for forgiveness for God, you repent, and then you start over. God does not abandon us in our sin, and it is through Christ that that is possible. Because Christ covered our sin, God's relentless grace, chasing after us, bringing Christ to us, because that's a distance that we could have never covered on our own, conquering sin. And it's not like Christ was just a punching bag for sin. He took it all on, bore that weight, and then he beat it. And resurrected again and promises to come back and he did all of that so that we might be able to go and share eternity with God story ends um, in the scripture reading that uh, Dan read for us Samson's led out to the temple they are celebrating their god Dagon which is the god of vegetation which is Kind of lame, if you ask me. I mean, there's so many cooler things. He's a false god, but they're praising this guy for delivering Samson to them. Well, all along, this was God's purpose, using Samson's uh, brokenness and sin to achieve God's purpose. But they think that their god did this, so they're, they're partying hard in this temple. And they bring Samson out after they've had a few too many to drink, and he's going to entertain them. Um, and they walk him out. And they set him, he asked the servant to set him between these two pillars. Samson prays to the Lord for the the second time. But this one's different. Sovereign Lord, remember me, please. Please, God, strengthen me just once more and let me, with one blow, get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Later it says, let me die with the Philistines. Samson understands at this point, through his blindness, the purpose that God is trying to fulfill here. He wants, to, he wants to avenge his eyes. And I don't know if he wants to avenge his eyes being lost physically, or if he wants to avenge the fact that he messed up so badly throughout this life that he missed out on his calling because of his eyes. But either way, it says that Samson was able to push this thing down, and through his death, he accomplished more than he did on his own strength while he was alive. With Easter coming up, and we, we celebrate the, the life and death and resurrection of Christ, who was also maimed and tortured, mocked and jeered, and then died. Samson deserved the death that he got. His sins, the consequences of his sins, got him to where he was at. But through that, he fulfilled God's promise that I am going to begin freeing the Philistines. He was setting the stage. Then along comes Sam and um, Christ. Christ didn't deserve 
of our broken, sinful, broken, weak, unassuming, sinful self. Our purpose is in him and the gift that he freely gives us in our salvation if we choose to believe uh, if we choose to believe that. Um, let me close in prayer. Father God, we thank you so much for, um, for that gift that you freely give us. We thank you for the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. We thank you for your faithfulness to us, um, for the promises that you make for us, Lord. I pray that as we leave here, Lord, that we um, would be able to come to, um, come to grasp the, the gravity of our eternal salvation. Lord, that we would be convicted of, of right Christian living. Lord, that we would turn back to you and realize that we are weak and you are strong. I pray these things in your name. Amen.